0: and reading at their very best are a social experience whether it be a book club a poetry slam or the production of a play words are meant to be shared i'm your host amy and i'm your host carrie we've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading but in so many ways we are opposites carrie is a cat lover but i'm a dog
1: nut amy loves a good party while i prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch but books are the tie that binds Each week, we have fun conversations with
0: interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they
1: are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. Carrie and I are still on
0: vacation this week, but you can find us with all new interviews and episodes starting August 5th. But today, we have a replay of our interview with Mick Sullivan. Mick is a friend of this show. He helped us begin our adventure in broadcasting and podcasting by giving us the tools and the confidence to get started. He is the creator of the award-winning children's history podcast, The Past and the Curious, which was recently named by the New York Times as one of the best children's podcasts. In this time of quarantine and virtual learning, children's podcasts have seen their downloads soar, including Mick's. If you're doing any road trip travel with your kids this summer, give his podcast a listen. I promise the adults will enjoy it just as much as the kids. He sat down with us to talk about his new children's book that had been published, The Meat Shower. But Mick has another children's book in the works. Book lovers, if you like what we do, subscribe to our show on any of the major podcast platforms so you never miss an episode. And if you rate and give us a little review on Apple Podcasts or our Facebook page, we will read your comments on the air. And don't forget, you can get the show notes with the details of all the books we talk about for any episode at our website, PerksofBeingABookLover.com. Our guest today is a history buff who's taken his interest in the past to a whole new level. Mick Sullivan is a history educator at the Fraser History Museum and is in charge of their youth and family programs. But he's also the creator of the children's history podcast, The Past and the Curious, which Common Sense Media lists as one of the best podcasts for kids. His quirky combo of humor and music keeps both kids and adults interested and sneaks in a little history in the process. His podcast includes a bit of an earworm song about local coffee shop, Heine Brothers Coffee. So even if history isn't your jam, check it out just for that tune. The success of his podcast has led to the publishing of his first children's book, The Meat Shower, which is a fun telling of the historical event of meat, yes, I just said meat, literally raining down on a Kentucky farm in the 1800s. In fact, what is even more curious, today there is still no explanation of this unusual event. Mick tells us how his podcast grew out of the stories he tells kids at the Frasers' children's programs, how his background and musical performance has served him well when creating the variety of music for his podcast, what huge role vultures play in his new book, and all about his vision to have a series of books
1: featuring quirky history for every reading level. Amy and I are in the studio today with Mick Sullivan, a historical educator at the Fraser Museum in downtown Louisville, Kentucky. We met Mick kind of accidentally, he had given uh, a talk at the Louisville Free Public Library's How-To Festival about podcasting. And so we just reached out and he was so helpful to us when we started this adventure or misadventure, whatever you want to call it. So we invited him to the studio to talk about the stories that he tells on his podcast, The Past and the Curious. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here, and congrats on uh, getting it off the ground.
0: Uh, woo <laughs> <laughs> So tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: So I, I do work at the Fraser History Museum. I'm the manager of youth and family programs, which is a fancy... I've, I'm a history advocate, I guess, you know. I, I work with kids. I do all of our summer camp programming and, and that sort of stuff. But I also have for three years now, I just realized it's been three years, have had a podcast called The Past and the Curious um, which is a family focused podcast that does uh, history and music in an offbeat sort of way and and it's it's been extremely rewarding and super super fun to put together.
1: So you're also a musician too. Oh, that's
2: right. Yes, I am. I am also a musician. Uh, I play banjo and mandolin and
1: I know that
0: your podcast has gotten some awards lately.
2: Can you yeah. Tell us a little bit about <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Brag um, on yourself right. a little bit. Pat yourself uh, on the back. The 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 first one that I got, which was totally weird, not a left field, was uh, the Times of London named "The Past and the Curious" one of the top ten children's podcasts of that was 2017, which was really early going on. But just recently, I was featured for the second time on a a list put out by Common Sense Media, which is as far as adjudicating things for parents. To consume for children it's the best i mean it really really matters because people have pulled from that list it just got republished in on the washington post so like that was that was a big deal
1: (laughs) so tell us a little bit what is the past and the curious tell us a little bit about what your podcast is about
2: yeah it's kind of a variety show almost you know um it, they're usually 25 to 30 minutes long um and each episode is themed so they'll be uh like the one that i'm working on right now the theme is polymaths so it's two stories of two people it's a story of two people who were really really good at lots of different things and so the first story we tell the story it's I have a guest reader um there's music backing and stuff that i create And then we do a quiz time section and then tell the second story. And so we kind of leave it up to the listeners to relate the two in their brain. And there's always connections to make. And then there's often a piece of music at the end that I create and and perform.
1: Were you a history major?
2: No, I was a music major. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, yeah,
2: I was a music major at Bellarmine University.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Bellarmine, woo! Yeah, go
0: Knights. (laughs) So how did your love of history come about?
2: I don't know. I think about that all the time. My my grandfather was really into it and would take me places. So I guess, you know, like on that level, that's where it began. But I was working in the family business a decade ago and had this bubbling of like energy of curiosity and was, had read some books that really grabbed me. And then my wife and I went on this crazy epic vacation where we went to charlottesville and then to virginia coast and then went up the peninsula and to philadelphia and, and and gettysburg and stuff and came back and was just like infatuated and just couldn't couldn't stop reading and they doing anything related to history so that's like when it really took root i guess but it, it definitely goes back to my childhood
0: well, then what was the impetus to doing the podcast a, a history podcast for kids
2: because i deal with kids professionally and and teach history to kids um when you're looking them in the face and trying to keep their attention you really have to you really have to work and so i was always looking for something a creative way to to tell stories and i would i think probably overdo it because like i would just get so into it that it would take so much time to put together a story and then i would tell it once to these kids and that was it so i wanted it to kind of live on longer than that you wanted you know? it to last longer
1: that's the way i feel about making dinner
2: <laughs> yeah yeah totally. you put a
1: lot of work into it and it's gone in like seven minutes so right? yeah exactly it's
2: yeah, about how long my stories are like too uh yeah so i think that was the main thing was i just wanted i knew that other kids could use this and i i, I enjoyed it and i wanted to develop it further and and you know as a musician i had some audio skills but wanted to develop those further too so it just kind of seemed like a good good marriage
0: your format is really interesting i've listened to several episodes of it and it's it's really it's a really fun listen even even though it's, i think focused more towards kids would you say like eight to twelve yeah,
2: yeah yeah that's the that's the sweet spot i'm surprised i do have a lot of parents say that there are younger kids that uh-huh. listen which is great i think that's awesome and i think when kids are listening they can listen at a higher level than they can read so it's also great for adults though oh, i yeah, mean i, I enjoyed listening so to
0: it as an as an adult
2: that's the best feedback that i get is that parents will say my kid loves this podcast my kid loves this podcast our family loves your podcast oh, you know? Awesome. Yes. yeah
0: it's definitely something you could listen in the car with your kids and both of you get something out of it But I think it's interesting with the quiz section and you intersperse some music in there. Do you do all the music that's...
2: Yeah, for the most part. Sometimes I'll have, you know, like I'll have a friend who's got something that's a perfect fit anyway. So I'll I'll plug that in and credit them. Uh, But for the most part, yeah, I mean, 95% of the music on the show I'll create.
0: Because the music is sort of related to whatever topic that you're talking about yeah so that's really interesting how did you come up with the whole concept of how you wanted it to be how you wanted the structure of it to be
2: i messed with the first episode i prototyped the first episode for five or six months and was just trying to figure out a way to play to my strengths (laughs) (laughs) Um, and also you know based on my knowledge of working with kids up to that point like what what would hold attention you know what was a good target length for most things also thinking like if you're going to listen to it in the car like can you break it up like i didn't want it to be one long story for multiple reasons kids would lose interest and it might not fit your transportation time to school you know so i mean yeah those are all all considerations
1: he put a lot more thought into what he's doing than what we're doing here i can tell you that
2: (laughs) I mean, it was still a shot in the dark. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I'm curious, how do you, how do you find your stories? And where do you find your stories that you then convey through the podcast?
2: I read a lot of books. So, so oftentimes, you know, it's like you, you read a history book, and there'll be like one tiny little story, and like, well, I want to know more about that, and developed enough research skills to figure out how to track that sort of stuff down. Also, I mean, I've just encountered a lot of tales through years and years of just being interested in history, and so oftentimes there'll be one story that I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna tell a story about this, and then I have to go through my brain or go through books or whatever to find what story I'm gonna match it with, because I'm again, I want them to always relate to each other, you know?
0: Because it seems like it's not stories that everybody already knows. I mean, they're they're kind of unseen history I guess
2: yeah yeah or or it, and if it is a story that everybody knows I want to tell it in like a in different a different way. way
1: so the the history books you read I guess are they adult history books that you read and then find little nuggets that you then parse down into something that kids would enjoy or do you read history books that are more kid oriented I do both oh, okay. um, I do
2: both I mean you, more more often than not it, it'd be a a book that's aimed at adults but i don't know if i'm really looking for stuff for kids it always serves me well to start with a kid's book and then work up it's different i work both ways i love kids history books you know
0: what makes a story one you want to feature on your podcast are there certain elements that you're looking for
2: if there's a way that i can make it funny then, (laughs) then that's gonna be a big one if it's if it's gonna fit into that theme that i've got for a show then that's that's great idea too i think more than anything like if it captures just a, p- a part of my imagination and i'm pretty sure it will with a kid too one of the stories that i'm planning for october is about this automaton that this member of prussian nobility made and it was a chess playing automaton and he made it to impress the queen who was marie antoinette's mom so maria theresa i guess and so he wanted to like win her favor so he made this machine and he would take it around and beat napoleon and it beat ben franklin and like did all the stuff and it it was crazy and it was a scam like there's a person inside (laughs) of it but it was like how can i not tell this story right and so that one is going to work out really easily because my friend heather heather gotlib who's written a couple stories for the show as well who i work with at the fraser she's got this great story that she always tells of how mary shelley wrote frankenstein and so it's a perfect kind of thing like those are going to match really well. And great got, like, for this, October. Yeah, right? exactly. Well, all of that too. Yeah. Totally. yeah, so that's a great example of a story that'll do that. But I, I also I mean, I, I get a lot of comments about how the stories are diverse ish. Like the next episode both both stories are people of color and then there's all sorts of really great stories of women that never get told as well. So anytime I can find a story like that, it's going to find its way onto the show. Somehow. That's great. Yeah,
0: because yeah, there's lots of untold history of, Absolutely. of
1: women minorities that are important that don't get told yeah
2: absolutely
1: i'm curious about this so are some of the stories kind of like i keep thinking more not like ripley's but sort of far out there does that seem to draw you? yeah
2: that's i'm definitely drawn to that sort of stuff yeah yeah absolutely
0: if there were Ripley's Believe It or Not for history. history yeah, right?
2: Yeah. My I mean, the first episode that I did was P. T. Barnum. To me, he was a despicable person. Mm-hmm. But he was also like one of the most fascinating people in history. And there's something to be said about, you know, just making a show, you know. Yeah I mean it's gotta like, entertain you or yeah, you're not gonna want to. Exactly. Listen. Exactly. Right. And I, I do like I do like big <laughs> I do like big things.
0: Is there a key to making history interesting for kids?
2: I think being ex- excited about it is the most important thing. That's that's it. Like, if you're excited about something, kids are going to pick up on that.
0: So modeling, sort of modeling yeah, the go. behavior yeah. that
1: you want from them. Well, and I do think the humor is such a big part. I think sometimes education has gotten really good at taking the fun out of learning. Absolutely. <laughs> and so I, I feel like if kids are having fun – they're going to pick up a lot of stuff and you can kind of sneak education in there if they're having a good time. So I I think that's important.
2: And I got that from working in the the summer camp program at the Fraser. That's how we structure everything. And we call it stealth learning. It's like, everybody's (laughs) having fun. Everybody's laughing. And then the kids go home and they start talking to their parents and their parents are like, what are you talking? I can't believe you're telling me about... Form over function. Yeah. Like, like, how do you know about that? And they're like, I don't know. I just learned about right. it today. It was I fun. Just, yeah.
0: Yeah. So the music that you use on your podcast, how do you create it? Is it electronic? I don't know. I don't know enough sure. about music to yeah. even be able to ask a question intelligently, yeah. I think. But how do you make the music?
2: Well, um, it's a mixture of both. <laughs> Practical and digital, I guess, um, <laughs> if it was special effects. So I work in a, a, the same program that you all work in, actually. And once the the stories are edited, I'll I'll put music behind that. And sometimes I'll use just a digital keyboard and the sound samples that the program has. Um, But oftentimes I'll mix that with acoustic instruments like mandolin or guitar or banjo. Now, when I do a song at the end, that's always... Live instruments and stuff that I'll just overdub.
1: Are a lot of your stories about Kentucky for the podcast?
2: Um, I sneak quite a few of them in there. Okay. Um, but I but if I do, I try to make them have importance far beyond the border. Ina Dandell wound up in there, and I just think she's super interesting. People should know about her. Oh, the Marquis de Lafayette story. I actually tell the story of his approach. He was on the Grand Tour in 1824. He was the only survivor, and they brought or James Monroe brought him back. To go on tour and like rally people because America was needed him and and his steamboat crashed right outside of Louisville and they had to go rescue him in the middle of the night so that's the story that I tell but obviously it's like more about Mar- Marquis de Lafayette so if I can sneak Louisville in there and Kentucky in general yes I will I want it. it's important to me
1: so I want to ask you you recently in addition to the podcast you have also published a book so yes. tell us a little bit about that book that I actually have. Somewhere over here. It's over there, I see. it's over there. Okay.
2: Yes. It took a long time to get together, but it is about the uh, historic event that really happened in 1876 in Bath County, Kentucky, that is known as the Kentucky Meat Shower. So the book is called The Meat Shower, because I didn't want to, you know, make, make people think that it was just for kentucky people it's an international (laughs) book i promise uh but yeah what's the tagline i forget uh the The mostly
1: true tale of an odd and somewhat edible occurrence that's it (laughs) (laughs) yeah with this book how did this come about i mean had you told the story on the podcast and then i had
2: not i was waiting and so I, i released an episode about the that when the book came out so that was all done on purpose did you get that from the library yeah oh sweet which <laughs> library has it
1: uh, let's uh, see i don't the free public i don't there have. was a waiting
0: list for it
1: Whoa. when i requested
2: Hot it diggity <laughs> yeah, I <know>. uh, uh
0: <laughs> but i go to the northeast so okay. that's where it
2: came cool. to but cool, i cool. don't know where it came from cool first. that's awesome that's exciting
1: <laughs> so tell us about the meat yeah. shower. yeah uh, so how you got to the point where you decided oh that right this is where yeah 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 so he I got mean, so flabbergasted yeah. by that <laughs> that it was at the branches
2: yeah i mean honestly part of the podcast idea was i want to publish books oh and no one was going to take me seriously because i had no audience at all i was just some dude in kentucky And there's plenty of dudes everywhere. (laughs) So I thought, you know, if I can create something and a following, hopefully someone will take me seriously and help me put out a book. And it worked, and I hope it'll work again more and better. But, yeah, it's a story that I loved. It actually, my friend, John, his birthday is is March 3rd. And so just one night we were uh, meeting, and he was like, check out this weird thing that happened on my birthday (laughs) and you know for a couple years we would just joke about the kentucky meat shower and slowly the story formed in my idea and for some reason i decided to make the chunk of meat the narrator of the story and i thought you know what like that's my that's my end like that's how i'm actually going to get somebody to bite on this crazy story because just telling it's not i mean you can go on the internet and find any number of reasonably decent tellings of the story on whatever websites but you know there's there's one surviving specimen of meat in the world I found that yeah
1: crazy that I know that was... I I really feel we, like I need to go I was like oh my gosh it's because I didn't know that that even existed and I'm like oh my gosh I need to now go to Transylvania yeah. to go uh, see this we, transylvania University when
2: we when we did the book launch we did it at the fraser in the gift shop and they brought the chunk of meat up. oh that's <laughs> <Yeah>. great <laughs>
1: Yes. I can't believe we missed the chunk of meat. Yes. <laughs> so
0: we didn't actually say what I mean. We called it a meat shower, but can you give just a, like a brief little sure thing about what what that is? Yeah. Like so was. it was
2: 1876, and it was in Bath County, Kentucky. Which I mean, it's 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 not far from Lexington, and it was on one particular farm, the Crouch Farm, and middle of the day for no reason, chunks of meat start falling from the sky, uh, and they cover. Some say flakes, you know, most of the reports say flakes of meat, but they also then say like some of them were like one and one and a half inches. I was like, well, that's a chunk. Yeah. (laughs) And the piece that we had was definitely a chunk. Started falling and, and covered about you know like a football field's worth of space and everybody kind of lost their minds like well, yeah. what's going on? Well, yeah, well understandably. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> yeah. and, and and what but what was amazing and why I think it was worth a children's book is that there's no explanation like there's no one has ever come up with it's never been solved. You know in the 1800s like there were all sorts of mysteries that permeated the world and like eventually science explained them but science never really got around to this one and so. You know, 150 years later or whatever, we can still be like, that. Oh,
0: Which is really crazy if you consider they still have one sample right. of the meat. You'd
1: think right. they would be able to... Like, test it. Maybe yeah. it's just not a high enough priority.
2: Well, actually, we almost didn't get it because it was in London being gene sequenced. Oh, so- really? <laughs> <laughs> but it's been in this, like, weird formaldehyde. Oh, for, yeah. Like- uh, so, uh, you know, whatever. If they got results, they have been very tight-lipped about it. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know that there's any...
1: Well, I, I, I was reading this it? last night, and I have to say, there, there were a number of things I liked about it, but I was especially impressed. You had some um, alliteration going on here. Yeah,
2: I'm a big fan of that.
1: So, <laughs> I mean, when you found a publisher, did they want to tweak things, or was it um, they were on board with what you They were on board.
2: Had? This didn't work in the traditional publishing format. Like, I didn't have an agent. It's a small press. It's actually a local press. And they were sold on the idea, <laughs> and the fact that I had an illustrator almost done, and everything. So you, know, you had you had yeah. found your own illustrator, yeah, and yes, and I know someone who works at like at Hatchet Books in Boston, like a friend from college, whatever. And so he introduced me to some people, and they were like, "Oh no, don't do that. Don't do any of that. If I don't, it's not going to happen." So, <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> You know, because I think, it, like, if it were some major publisher were to pick up a book, then it would, the agent or the editor, or somewhere, someone someone way above me would make all of those decisions. Right. Which, if that happens for me later on, great. But that wasn't going to happen in this case for this book. But I wanted the book to be out, so.
1: Well, I'm impressed. I with a great I was like, oh, wow, we got, yeah. some, we got some good stuff going on in here. Yeah. But the other thing I especially liked was the... I won't say what happened, but it, it involves vultures. And oh, I just thought that, this was yeah, great. You
2: can talk about that all you want. That
1: Barfing vultures. Yeah,
2: there's a two-page spread of vultures vomiting. And that image was in my head forever. And I was like, that's the selling point of the book. <laughs> like Because I know some kid's going to turn the page and just lose it. Right. I
1: and, love and, it. and some 46-year-old women, yeah. too.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that page was gave me enough motivation <laughs> to the finish the book. Yeah, like like I know this is like the payoff right here. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. That was great. Yeah, have you been able? And it, maybe this interferes with your full time job. But have you been able to go to like schools, or would you be able to go to schools if that became? A possibility or has that been?
2: We've had a couple inquiries and we're working on it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it's just scheduling. Like I have to do that, you know, obviously work around the day job. Right, right. Um, but yeah, that's super exciting. And the illustrator lives in Louisville too, and his girlfriend is a teacher. So she's had a lot of people approach her so yeah i mean there's been hopefully more and more of that will happen that's very cool
0: well it seems like with the popularity of your podcast and now that you have a book that's you know in the same vein of the kind of things that you do on your podcast that you could have a whole series are you planning on more and do you have yes ideas swimming around in your head
2: i do there are a couple stories from the podcast that I think would make incredible books and I and I hope to do something like that picture book wise. But you know, people are weird about picture books. I think everyone just automatically assumes they're for young kids. Mm. And like at one of the reading, one of the kids was like, Oh, my mom says that's below my reading level. And I was like Mm but it's awesome
1: yeah <laughs> and it's history it's hilarious I mean, I mean, yeah
2: whatever so there's that I'm actually in the middle of working on something that I think I think will be a, a really good fit fingers crossed that I can do something with it but I'm trying to create uh, have you ever seen those books? How They Croaked, How They Choked. Yes. Those, yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. then there's another one that's yeah. um, it's a different author that's about. So
1: it's for a little bit older reader.
2: Yeah. But like, it still
1: yeah. has that. It, it has visuals. It has yes. pictures and yes. stuff like that.
2: So when I write a story for the podcast, it's usually 1,200 to 1,600 words. And I was reading through these. I was counting words. I was like, oh, these are exactly the same length as my podcast. So I'm trying to adapt a couple stories from the podcast and also have a whole other set of stories that I haven't done audio treatment yet and probably won't so i want to create this reader for fourth to sixth grades and it's about famous people or historical people and their underwear I'm like how it seems like a winner to me you know how could it not sold yeah. Yeah.
1: oh that's fantastic you know i i will say this so i have read some big history books doris
2: good good yeah yeah and
1: i mean and it was great but the truth of the matter is honestly i'll probably remember more about the meat shower book than i will about the lincoln book right because there was so much information packed in that and you just can't retain all of that right you know what it was a team of rivals so i don't know i i really feel like we need to in general and i'm bad at this too sometimes myself with that mom thing you know like well that's sort of below what you should be reading but it's like if you get some good information from it whether it's a cereal box or whether it's a yeah. 900 page tome yeah it's got value yeah you know? oh
2: absolutely yeah and that, that's something I try to keep in mind when I'm writing stories for the podcast too because I did a story about Lincoln and I'm not gonna tell the enormity of Lincoln's life you know you can't so I'll tell one story that's funny that I know that kids will remember and then fill in some details around it for context just to help flesh it out. And And I think that even that tangential stuff will will stick in a kid's brain more than, yeah, just reading, reading whatever assignment they right. were given you
0: know or even a graphic novel yeah would be kind of a fun way to go too yeah it seems yeah. like we talk about graphic novels a lot but i
1: know but but they're so they are just they are making such an impact for kids yeah. i think we're kind of getting to a point where they're becoming increasingly popular and yeah. and the truth is kids now are so used to having information in smaller chunks yeah. because of social media yeah And because so much is flying at them all the time, I substitute teach and kids, if they have a two page story, they're like, oh, it's so long, you know, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, no, not really that long. But from their perspective and what they're used to getting, that is it can feel overwhelming. So,
2: no, I, I totally get that and and I mean with that in mind then all the stuff that I'm working on is probably too long and and that's why I probably won't be able to sell it to a publisher because they'll be like no it's not marketable (laughs) you need to need to chunk it out you need to think like a graphic designer instead of a writer
1: so when you decided to pick the meat shower I mean were you intentionally trying to do a Kentucky story or was it just that the story happened to be in Kentucky you just thought it was a great
2: story I thought it was just a great story I thought it was super fun but I also recognized the fact that i have kentucky connections so if it couldn't happen in a traditional format like with a publisher with a, with a major publisher i might be able to make it work through local channels which i did so but yeah no it was a great story i think anyone anywhere would like it right it's not right. kentucky specific do you see
1: yourself doing more kentucky like try, intentionally trying to find more kentucky stories or not necessarily pigeonholing yourself into just kentucky stories
2: I love Kentucky stories. So in a perfect world, I would do both. I would like have the I would have the underwear book available, but then also I've been working with another artist to create just like a little zine that I'm gonna give to my Patreon sponsors, and she does these really cool. they're It's like pencil and gouache, so it's it almost looks. You know, I'm not an artist. When she said gouache, I was like, I don't know. What you're I don't know about. what that is. <laughs> yeah, um, it kind of looks like whiteout, you know, like so. It's and it's on like cardboard, and she does pencil and gouache, and then like a little bit of colored construction paper accent. And so she's been doing these drawings of stories from the podcast. And so we're going to do, print a little zine with a picture and then like a condensed version of the story, like it chunked out 200 words and do that. And one of the reasons I want to try it is to see how effective it is and how, how quickly we can do it, because I, I have a bunch of stories about Louisville specifically that I think need to get told and no one's telling them or if they are they're. of the things with history is people just make it so inaccessible it's like oh yeah we talk about that stuff all the time it's like well you talk about it way up here or to each other and not to the general public or to kids and get them excited about things so it's something i want to try
1: i didn't know that this was a story about kentucky but floyd collins and the caves Have you heard of that story?
2: I know the name. Okay. No, tell me. So,
1: well, Floyd Collins, he was trapped in a cave in Kentucky, and it was the first time that the cave system in Kentucky had gotten, like, vast media attention. And so him getting trapped, and ultimately he died in the cave, but led to P- Kentucky being known for its cave systems and so I didn't hear the story until I was in college at Bellarmine mm-hmm. heard about him so now I teach a book it's a I guess for middle schoolers it's called Bell Prater's Boy and it mentions Floyd Collins and I get to tell my students about it so anyway maybe you want to do that one, yeah, it's very, interesting one. Totally. Absolutely. And not very. I mean I like I said I didn't know about it and You know, not many people know that story, but it was, I mean, it was like a big sensationalized story. There were, you know, news media and writers from major newspapers coming into Kentucky. Was it
2: it in part of Mammoth Cave? Yeah, in that area.
1: And I'm sure I've gotten some of the details wrong, but it was this big thing. He got trapped and he was in there for. I don't know how many days exactly. But. Ultimately to a bad yeah. end. Yes. That's, poor yes. Floyd. Yeah. 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 Poor Floyd. So, poor, yeah. Poor Floyd. But anyway, I think there was like a play, like a, a Broadway play about Floyd Collins. So there you yeah. go. You yeah, can add amazing. it to your yeah. list. Perfect.
0: <laughs> so I have one more question about your podcast. Well, when I first started listening to podcasts, I don't think I realized how much time it takes. But how much time does it take you to write the stories that you tell, make the music, the whole shebang?
2: uh it's i haven't it's hard to like calculate all of the hours because i just do things in the cracks of the day (laughs) you know i have two kids little ones but i i I release monthly like i can only do that to the chagrin of some of my listeners (laughs) like why don't you make more sorry but that seems to be a pretty good schedule so i usually will do the do the writing up front and that depends you know there's a lot of research involved Uh, and i write in the morning so you know i don't know say eight hours for that content to generate. And then the recording is super fast. Like I can, since it's all scripted, like I have somebody read it, I'll invite somebody over and say, plan to do, it'll take you 30 minutes. Like if that's it. But the editing usually takes another couple hours, music another couple hours. So, you know, I don't know, 20 hours of time Mm -hmm. maybe.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's way more involved than what I think people. Well, I know certainly what we thought. Just you know, scheduling and yeah, re- recording and uh, there's a lot of uh, sort of minutiae that you don't realize are part of a podcast. Yes, totally,
2: totally. Yeah, and then all the end stuff, like getting getting everything uploaded and and figuring whatever, out what whatever. you're going to title stuff yeah, I mean exactly. the, yeah like yeah. these
1: little tiny things that they aren't even on your radar when yeah. you start doing this absolutely so. yeah. yeah
2: yeah that's that stuff's the part that wears me down <laughs> <laughs> an intern.
1: well thank you so much for coming in and talking about your book we are going to take a break me. and when we come back we are all going to talk about what we're reading right now
0: We're back in the studio with Carrie and Mick. And we're going to all talk about what we're reading. So Carrie, what is that book that you're holding?
1: Okay, so this is American Born Chinese. And I'm sure I'm going to mess the author's name up. Jean Luen Yang is the author. And this is fantastic. I really enjoyed this book. I finished it in a day. It is a graphic novel. And it's actually sort of three stories. The first is about the Monkey King. And it tells about how the Monkey King got his power and ultimately why he ends up under a mountain of rocks. So that's the first section. And then that story is interspersed with the story of Danny, who's a Caucasian boy who has a cousin named Chin-Kee who comes... And stays with him. And Chin Qi is sort of that stereotypical idea of what a Chinese person is. Like if you think about what what's the movie uh, Christmas Story? The guys at the okay. Chinese yeah. restaurant singing yeah. fa-ra-ra-ra-ra. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's a portion of this book. It tells the story of Danny and his cousin Chin Qi who comes and visits him like once a year and completely embarrasses him. And then the other story is of a boy. He moves to the United States. Well, I guess he he doesn't move. His parents had come to the United States. And then he moves and starts a new school. And it's about how he makes friends. So you're reading this, and there are these three separate stories that you think have nothing to do with each other. And you're struggling to try to figure out, okay, what's going on? Who's this white kid, Danny? What, what is going on? Well, by the end of the book, the author weaves all three stories together and it is just so meaningful and powerful. So it's a story for a person who is a minority, They can definitely take something from this about being true to who they are and not allowing other people to make them feel less than great. But even if you're not a minority, you can read this about being your true self and making sure that you don't... Try to change to make other people happy. It was just wonderful. My middle son, you know, so he's on the big graphic novel kick, and he read it and he was just raving about it to me. So, again, I'm like, if a sixth grade boy is raving about a book, it must be pretty good. So, I read it. He and I were actually waiting at an appointment on Saturday. And he kept leaning over as I was reading it. And he was like, oh, that's a really good part. Oh, oh, that's a really good part. So and then making comments. And then we ended up talking about some of the things that I felt like he maybe didn't entirely get, you know, like he got it on one level, but maybe not on another level. So we ended up talking about that. So I highly recommend it.
0: And I feel like anytime your kid wants you to read the book that they just read so that they can talk to you about Mm -hmm. it, that's a... That's a win right yeah. there.
1: That's yeah. That's big. And it, and it helps get the books I've read for this year. I mean, I'm I'm edging close to 70 books. That's that's one of the nice things about graphic novels, you know, as an adult. You can get through them pretty quickly. So, Mick, tell us about what you're reading.
2: Uh, I'm in the middle right now of Spying on the South, which is the book that Tony Horwitz published just before his untimely passing. And I'm a huge fan of Tony Horwitz. Confederates in the Attic was a really important book to me. And... Um,
0: I'm not familiar with him. So, does he write nonfiction or fiction?
2: Uh, It's nonfiction. He he was actually a a correspondent during the first Iraq War and then came back to America and started writing about history. But he has this almost all of his books. He did a book about John Brown that's like very history based. But the rest of his books, this one included, he follows a person, a storyline, or something. It's almost like a Gonzo sort of thing because he goes to the places. So in this book, Frederick Law Olmsted, who's an important person for a number of reasons, but to us in Louisville for sure, for our park system and for um, many park systems around oh, the yeah, country. Oh, of course. Right? Yeah, Boston and yeah, Buffalo and New York City. But before the war, yeah, right before the Civil War, he was hired by the New York Times to travel around the South and write sort of like as a spy, like dispatch, you know, because it was a fractious time and they knew things are coming to a head, um, but they were trying to get a clear picture and just see what a, a casual observer would see down there. Um, so he traveled from West Virginia to Kentucky, to Tennessee, to Alabama, all the way across Texas. I think he winds up doing two circuits and writing. And his perspective changes because at first, you know, he's, he he has thoughts about slavery, obviously not favorable, but then like by the end of it, like he's absolutely staunch abolitionist so what tony does is he actually follows the exact same path and looks at the world through our modern fractured society (laughs) because that's what we're looking at you know and tony his way that he would do it is like he would one of the scenes he's actually coming down the ohio river on a coal barge with coal barge workers whatever town he's in he goes to the bar and bellies up and and talks to people and winds up going to some really interesting places seeing crazy things yeah so it's it's a really really interesting today and back then sort of telling of different sides of america it's it's a really fascinating book
1: so it sounds like it's it sounds like it would be a pretty easy read maybe for somebody somebody who doesn't want to read like a really heady oh no
2: it it is the easiest yeah absolutely it okay. is super super easy and and it's it's a lot like his book confederates in the attic which was what really vaulted him to like a certain status
0: is that the one that you said meant a lot to you yeah yeah so yeah. what's that one
2: he and his wife his wife is a australian novelist um geraldine brooks i want to say she's she's a pulitzer prize winner so is he like they're a power couple you know yeah (laughs) uh and so in that book they had just moved to virginia and like he wakes up one day and there's a reenactment going on basically on his front yard or so it seems as, as he tells it and he goes and meets the guy one of the guys and they talk him into like going out on the road like doing a couple of the reenactments with him or whatever so he does that so the rest of it is him traveling across kentucky virginia tennessee alabama all these places and talking to people and trying to understand where this lost cause mythology comes from and why people are holding on to it and and the people that he interacts with are like japanese tourists who are going to a scarlet o'hara impersonation you know these crazy scenes that he just has a way of like getting into he and you're there with him he puts you there and he's he's like who i want to be if i was more socially outgoing like you get me in a room with like people that i'm comfortable with i can talk but like i'm not gonna like put myself in those situations i mean he always he did like that's what he did all of his books are are that way and they're they're really really great and he and he but he but he's always looking for answers to to important things that have shaped america
1: no, I cool.
0: definitely want to read more. I
1: know. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Amy, what have you been up to? Well,
0: I'm going to do a throwback because I'm kind of between books. So I thought I'd talk about one that is one of my all-time favorites that I still think about today. And it's a book called Life of Pi by Jan Martel. Maybe many of our readers have read it, but if not, it's one I think you definitely should pick up. It was published in 2001 and it won the Booker Prize. Pi is the name of the main character and he's a a young Indian man and his parents run a zoo in India and this is in the 1970s. And they decide to close that zoo and they have sold the animals off to various zoos in North America. So he and his family and all the zoo animals board a Japanese freighter headed towards uh, the United States and Canada. There's a big storm at sea and that ship sinks and he makes it onto a lifeboat along with a hyena, a zebra, uh, an orangutan named Orange Juice, and a tiger that has the human name Richard Parker. So they are afloat on the sea for 227 days and much of the book is about how they, you know, stay alive or don't stay alive depending on which character it is and the power struggle between Pi and Richard Parker and eventually they wash up on the shore of Mexico and The Japanese ministry comes to interview him about what happened on this trip, and they question him. The investigators feel like things might not be exactly as they seem, and I don't want to give anything away with the book, but when I read this book, it kind of blew my mind. There's, you know, a couple books that I have read, and this is one of those, but I think that this one has a lot of philosophical questions in it as well. And it's just a book that I still think about. I never did see the movie. I, I was afraid that the movie wouldn't stand up to my. It doesn't. Okay, good. Then I won't see <laughs> I did it.
1: see the movie. It's not terrible, but it the book. I had the same reaction when I read the book, like mind blown. There's a certain part at the end of that book where <laughs> just you, like you question your whole existence. I feel like you don't get that same sense in the movie.
0: No. Okay. Well, good. Then I don't feel bad that I never saw that movie.
1: Now, maybe if you see that movie and you have not read the book, maybe you do. But if you have read the book and then you see the movie, it it just doesn't.
0: I don't think that they could translate it, probably. But, you know, it's lost. If the volleyball that Tom Hanks had was really a tiger that could eat you. (laughs) (laughs) but anyway i highly
1: recommend that book so there there it is for my throwback That a favorite sounds like we've got some good books that uh maybe people need to put on their tbr list so we will be back in just a minute and we will be asking mick his top five We are back with Mick, and we are going to be asking him his top five. So Mick, in addition to working at the Fraser, you are a musician. What is your top genre of music and why?
2: Well, I have a degree in music performance specializing in jazz guitar.
0: Ooh, I love <laughs> jazz. Ooh.
2: Yeah, so I'd say that probably at least on paper what my diploma says Um, (laughs) uh, but no I I am I'm a huge huge fan of jazz Thelonious Monk and Charles Mingus are like two of like most important people in the world to me musically and otherwise I guess but I also I play banjo mostly these days for some reason I don't know why Um, uh,
0: (laughs) so what was the instrument that you had your performance degree in guitar
2: okay yeah so actually I mean upon graduation i realized like ah, i was like working so hard that it was not fun anymore and so i dabbled in banjo but i took it very very seriously for like two years i was like i'm just gonna do this for two years and nothing else just to get up to speed and at that point i was like okay i am a banjo player and so now i get fewer and fewer calls because i'm not as plugged into the scene but i mean for a time like i was always around playing banjo so bluegrass to a degree as well so somewhere in between i have a band called squeeze bot that's Accordion, tuba, drums, and bass, and but we do like jazz interpretations of non-jazz songs.
1: Oh, that's cool! Yeah, wow. it's a fun band. That's awesome.
0: Where do you play in town?
2: We do other things. We 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 actually played every Sunday night at the Knock Bar for about ten years <laughs> um, through the summers, which thankfully we don't do anymore. <laughs> 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 that was before I had kids. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, and so we still play there pretty regularly as well.
1: Wow. So. I like a lot of different kinds of music, and I'm not sure where you would fit. I like the bluesy, I think of it as dirty blues. Uh I feel like the modern version of that, I listen to the Black Keys, and I feel like they're blues, or at least that's where they get their inspiration from. But I don't know enough about music to know where I would go back to get sort of the original of that. So I do feel like I like that genre of music a lot I just don't know that much about it yeah to be able to be informed and to listen to it as much as I think I would sure, like to sure
2: you know family trees of all that stuff go in so many directions right. Like you could argue about what informed what and whatever
1: I don't know. I just, I like their music. And so because I like their stuff, I'm like, okay, so what Inform. I could probably, you know, if I wasn't lazy, I could probably go find one of their old interviews and find, you know, sure, I'm sure, sure they they yeah, mention of course, of it course, at some yeah, point. Yeah. There's a thing called Google. I know, <laughs> I know. It's just kind of, you open up one tab and then, yeah. you know, I fall down a rabbit hole. I start looking up that and then I look up who they're married to and, and we've fallen into a rabbit hole right now. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> You have just published a book for kids. What is your top book that you read as a child?
2: Probably Where the Wild Things Are. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I was trying to think if that was totally true. And, and I, the first opportunity I ever had to read a book to a group of children, that was what I chose to read. So I, that probably means that it meant something to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, probably that. But I also, growing up, I'm a big baseball fan. And so there was an author named Matt Christopher who wrote baseball books for little boys. And I remember reading all of those. And then while still like in grade school, I got a book about the Beatles. And I think looking back, like that was probably the most monumental thing to me because I loved music and I loved the Beatles. But I also it gave me my first opportunity to like try to understand history, something that came before me watching somebody that I knew something about develop and trying to put that on a timeline before I existed that probably
1: (laughs) what is the top podcast besides your own that you like to listen to
2: I can't just pick one. <laughs> uh, but I mean, uh, I do really love Backstory, which is comes from Charlottesville, actually. It's a history podcast that's put together by real, <laughs> real historians, but done for the public. It's it's a really great mission. It's themed. I mean, it's very much like The Past and the Curious for adults, really, I think. But also, I'm a big comedy fan, and uh, I like improv comedy, and so there's a show that used to be on and i think they're coming back for another season called super ego that paul f tompkins is involved in who's one of my favorites he's just super clever and great comedian and then uh just recently i listened to what we saw which is a four episode podcast about the apollo 11 mission mm-hmm. and space isn't something that i've ever really been interested in and i couldn't tear myself away from this it was so good so those are, those are good picks. Those
1: are, They sound like good recommendations. I'm going to have to look those up.
0: Well, I have, a, I have a couple. So for a book or reading podcast, my favorite is one called The Librarian is In, and it's produced by the New York Public Library, and it's two of their librarians who do it every week. But they both have really big, fun personalities. And it's a book recommendation show, but they also talk about – Things in the library, like services that they offer and different things. And I know that sounds kind of boring when I say it, <laughs> but, but it's actually, it's it's fun. And if you're a reader, uh, you should definitely check that one out. For a non-book podcast, there's one that I listened to a couple of years ago called Presidential. And, yeah. and I forget who produced that, but they would have a, an episode where they condense the history of each president and it was really interesting. I thought yeah, I listened to all. Of those, <laughs> Did you too? listen to yeah, all those really too? Great. Yeah,
2: it was like it was like the Guardian or something. It was it, no. It, it was, was a maybe, new. It was, was a news was, organization.
0: Yeah. Maybe it was the Washington Post. I think it was. It was the. Washington I think it was Post. the Washington yeah. Post. Yeah. But yeah. that one was really fun, and because there are a lot of presidents, you know, especially in the 1800s, that you've heard their name, but you have no idea like what they did or didn't yeah, the, do. Yeah, the
2: productions were great too, because yeah. like with John Tyler, he's the guy who famously had at that time two living grandsons who i mean he was president or 1819 or something you
0: know?
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, and they went and they interviewed one of them yeah I mean, he was like 100 years old oh
1: my gosh <laughs> but
0: yeah but so if you like a little history that's a fun one
1: mick what is your top story that you've told on the past and the curious and why
2: is it your top so whenever people interact with me like patreon or just email from parents or whatever i always ask like what's the what's your all's favorite episode and almost every time it's the hot dog episode that i did which is which i put a lot of energy into like it's a really creative episode sometimes i'll do an episode that kind of breaks the format a little bit and that was one of them but i'm not exactly sure why i mean i I somehow wrapped an exploding whale on coney island (laughs) Into oh. the queen and the king visiting America for the very first time.
0: And w- where's the hot dog coming? into that equation?
2: Well, they ate hot dogs. Okay. FDR. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Famously. And then. Uh, I really feel like I understand
1: yeah. your mind. I feel like. I can sort of relate to where your mind goes on things. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I think, I think because I broke the format on that one, like people really react to it and you know, it was fun. It was funny, but uh, the statue of Liberty episode that I did was also that way. And I get a lot of feedback on that. And that's probably my favorite because you know, it was, it was a meaningful episode too. Like it, it broke the format and was creative and fun. But one of my favorite things that I did and it was silly, but I think it worked out really well. We ended it just with the, the new Colossus poem because I would tell the story of Emma Lazarus writing that poem as a fundraiser to to actually get it stood up because they didn't have the money to do it so at the end like I called out I'm a member of this organization called Kids Listen which is a lot of kids podcasters and so I just open call like read me the poem and I'm gonna splice it all together and I'll put audio behind it music and whatever and it wound up being like a really moving thing like yeah yeah
1: I'm gonna go back and search for that episode I know and listen I imagine it's hard to pick a, a top story you've done because do you feel like they're kind of your children almost
2: yeah but I also you know it's been three years so I'm, I'm you know I've got like 30 episodes which is like 60 stories probably and so I'm getting to the point that I've forgotten about some of them you know I'm like oh yeah I did that
0: <laughs> so you work at the Fraser History Museum has has there been an an exhibit that has been there that you would say is your favorite or your top exhibit
2: yeah we've had several I've been lucky enough to be involved in many of them the Lewis and Clark exhibit was designed for kids and families and so I got to write most of that oh. which was really awesome
1: did you write uh, the part about the what is it the part about it? it's like acorns the, the marinated acorn
2: oh yeah I wrote that <laughs> you
1: wrote <laughs> the, that's you else is going
2: to get that that's my favorite part
1: that is my favorite. What what's the name of them? Like
2: Chinook Olives. Yes.
1: Yes. yes okay. Yeah, that was me. Okay. Uh, yeah.
2: That has his fingerprints all me. over it. That was me. That was me and nobody like being like, mm, is that a good idea?
1: <laughs> that was totally, let me tell you. Whenever my boys and I have gone to the Fraser and gone through that exhibit. We always end up there, yeah. and we always end up reading about them. So,
2: yes, yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't know those are those are acorns that, that while Lewis and Clark were with the Nez Perce Indians in in Montana, Idaho, they had come out. of No, wait, it was after that. So they had come out of the Rockies, and so they were starving. They didn't have anything to eat. Nothing to eat in the Rockies, especially in the winter. So they they get all this stuff to eat, but it's all super unfamiliar things. And one of the things was chinook olives, which basically. They would take these acorns, which your body can't digest, and so they would put them in a pit on the edge of town, and all the men would pee on them. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> to break down the tannins, and then they'd roast them.
1: Oh boy, I bet that smelled good. Do you see why that stuck in my <laughs> memory? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. <laughs>
2: there. We also we also um, just on Friday opened up a new exhibit that I got to help with as well, which is called Celebrating the Sounds of Kentucky, which is a, a exhibit about Kentucky music. Oh, cool. So, there's all sorts of fun stuff from Loretta Lynn's dress from the 1983 abc country music special i don't know i don't remember what the reason was but it's a crazy dress through we actually rebuilt part of the ear ecstasy (gasps) record store oh oh,
1: i remember seeing something about
2: that yeah we got stuff from my morning jacket and there's a lot of jug band information and randy atcher if you guys ever watched uh t bar v growing up it was a kid's show on saturday mornings like a singing cowboy but yeah that's a really cool exhibit i'm I'm excited about it. that's great
0: well Mick, tell our listeners where they can find your podcast and where they can find you on social media if
2: you yes. are on it. Yes, yeah. On any podcatcher, I should be there. So I'm on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and all of those. The Past and the Curious. Uh, so I have the website, thepastandthecurious.com, and the book is available at earlyworkspress.com forward slash shop. There's also a link from my website to that. And I'm on all social media too as at Past and Curious, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook all
1: right and the library has five let's see one I'm looking at it now like five different branches have copies of your book but like three of them are out so you know if if you want to go that route make sure you get in there and put it on reserve fast because it sounds (laughs) like it's pretty popular that's awesome (laughs) well Mick thank you so much for
0: coming this has been really fun to talk to you yeah I've had a blast thanks for having me (laughs) for joining us today for show notes for any episode please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com follow us on facebook at perks of being a book lover and on instagram at perks of being a book lover pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air if you enjoy our show spread the word and leave us a review on apple podcasts that helps other listeners find us Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.